You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, I don't... I don't have any idea what to say. I've been thinking about it since I woke up and yesterday and everything else. Um, but I do have to, uh, I do have to mention it. Pretty shocking yesterday. Um, saw the tweet that went out that a very prominent Packers guy on Twitter passed away. Um, pretty young dude. I don't have any details. I don't know what happened. Um, sounds like it came completely out of nowhere. Try to go back on his Twitter to see, um, you know, if he had said anything that he wasn't feeling well or anything. And I mean, as of May thirtieth, nothing, just very generic, normal Twitter stuff. Um, but anyways, if you are on Twitter, you probably saw it. But uh, Nebels, as he's known, or Neil, um, apparently passed away recently. So that was a pretty big kick in the stomach to a lot of us yesterday, and makes it even harder to go over to his. The website to support him and see the pictures, that's that's rough. And um, so he's got uh, a wife, Amy. He's got two kids, Ava and Parker. And I can't um, really imagine what they're going through. So um, there is a website to uh, give, help support uh, medical cost, as well as just, just support, you know. So I'm going to put this up in the uh, Facebook group. I'll pin it up there. Um, if you're not in the Facebook group and don't want to be in the Facebook group, just uh, shout out, just hit me up, send me a message or whatever, and I can get the link to you. But um, that's where that'll sit until this one reaches its goal. I know some of you have given and given and given to all this stuff, but um, people never stop needing help, you know. And if you're able, that'd be great. If you can't, that's fine. Anyways, I know we just started, but I wanted to start with that, and as usual, um, I tend to find it inappropriate to just move on from here to football stuff. I, you know, so we're going to take uh, probably our earliest break ever. Hopefully there's a couple ads in here just, just to kind of, <laughs> just give me one ad to kind of refresh here, please. But um, then we'll, then we'll forge on, which I just, I just hate that, <laughs> you know? I mean, you, you can't. You can't spend your life mourning every tragedy. You know, there was just another shooting in Racine, which is like, what, uh, in the last week, we've had, <laughs> what, five? Granted, I mean, if you're just talking shootings, they happen like five times a day, but it just it just feels so weird to, and I'm, I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong on Twitter, but it was, you know, 30 minutes of, hey, I'm so devastated, and then Twitter moved on. And I kind of just sat yesterday and looked at it and goes, man, that sucks. And yeah, there was a pretty selfish part of me that said, well, that's all I'm going to get one day. Dang, that's tragic. He was a great podcast. I loved that. 
and then their next tweet is going to be "Go Pack Go." You know, I just and that'll be 15 seconds later. That's all you get too, by the way. But it just made me feel bad. Like, I mean, I don't know what else we can do, but I just feel like we should have, could have done something more. I don't know. That's why I hate this part of it. And I, I didn't want to save it till the end because that felt wrong too, but I guess this is what we're going to do. I dedicated, what, three minutes? But I don't know exactly what else to do. So anyways, again, if, if you want to, if you want to help, that's how you can help. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, why don't we start off with the trivia of the day. As I mentioned, I wanted to uh, work on this a little bit, just something kind of fun to do. Shouldn't take nearly as long as yesterday. The question was very simply, um, only 19 people in NFL history have caught three or more passes in playoff games. Actually, it's not even 19 people because some people did it multiple times. Jerry Rice is on here three times. <laughs> so maybe 17-ish if there's not any other doubles. Um, but 19 times it's happened. Twice were Green Bay Packers. Who were they? Some people were able to nail it. Some people had no idea. If you're like me, you had no idea. But the two were Sterling Sharp and current wide receiver Randall Cobb, which is just kind of funny. I mean, we, we know Randall had a prominent role in the Green Bay Packers for a while, but you think about how 
you know, quote unquote, awful this wide receiver room is. And um, right out of the gate, you get a really awesome statistic. And it's about a wide receiver that's on our team right now. But uh, January 8th, 2017 at Lambeau Field, Mike McCarthy's Green Bay Packers taking on the Ben McAdoo New York Giants. Packers absolutely trounced the Giants 38-13 to in this game. Uh, Giants jumped out 3 to nothing in the first quarter, but starting in the second quarter in Green Bay Packers fashion, because they loved the second quarter for whatever reason, just were off to the races. Scored 14-10 and 14 points, and again, largely thanks to uh, Mr. Randall Cobb, who uh, was only targeted seven times, but he caught five passes for 116 yards, three touchdowns. 42 yards was his longest. Devontae Adams uh, was uh, another touchdown in this game, along with Mr. Aaron Ripkowski on a one-yard score. Man, I miss those. And then the other one was um, 28-24 victory, January 8th again, 1994 in the Pontiac Silverdome. Packers beat the Lions 28-24, once again scoring zero points in the first quarter and then getting it started in the second. Very similar, actually. It was three to nothing in the first quarter, and then the Packers kind of pick it up in the second, and it's, again, off to the races. But Sterling Sharp, eight targets, five receptions, 101 yards, three touchdowns, 40 yards was his longest, very similar to Randall Cobb. Except in this game, nobody else did anything. <laughs> it, was, it was Sterling Sharp and nobody. There were no other touchdowns in this game. Uh, Daryl Thompson, 12 attempts, 41 yards. Edgar Bennett, 9 attempts, 30 yards, so nothing going on the ground. And then through the air, outside of those two guys, the only guy who had any amount of uh, receiving anything was Ed West. Four targets, three receptions, 40 yards. was the second most after Sterling Sharp's 101 yards. Robert Brooks had one reception for one yard in the game. Barry Sand. it's funny how much, you know, things change, but nothing really changes. On the other side of the field, Barry Sanders, 27 attempts, 169 yards against the Packers. So we found our way through the air to a victory, mostly because of, uh, you know, just one guy just getting hammered with the ball. And on the other side of the ball, we just could not stop the run, which granted, it's Barry Sanders, and he ran the ball 50,000 times, but still, it just, it just looks like a Packers game. So anyways, there is your trivia for the day. Some of the other guys that have done it, um, Amani Toomer, 2003, Sidney Rice, 2010, Jerry Rice did it in 90, 95, and 89, Andre Reed, Preston Pearson, Travis Kelsey, uh, one of the few tight ends, there's a couple other tight ends on here, Willie Jackson in 2000, Rob Gronkowski in 2012, not surprisingly, Alvin Garrett in 83, Larry Fitzgerald, 2009, Tom Fears in 1950, Gary Collins in 64, Dave Casper in 77, Fred Blitnikoff in 1968, and finally, interestingly enough, this is one of those things that everybody knows because it just happened, and I'm looking at it like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. So I'm going to sound like an idiot here for a minute, but this record was broken, a new high, the only person to ever do it, four touchdowns in a single game, Gabriel Davis of the Buffalo Bills over the Kansas City Chiefs scored four touchdowns in that game. I, I very vaguely remember that only because Gabriel Davis is so obscure. I remember there being a very obscure player that did something tremendous, but that's that's the extent of what I remember. Um, another NFL news, Frank Gore has decided to finally uh, hang up his cleats at, what, 57 now? I don't know. The guy's been around forever, but um, clearly one of the, one of the 
all-time greats, and it's not in the same kind of way as Barry Sanders or some of the. I mean, if you if you rank running backs in terms of their ability, and I don't mean to knock Frank Gore, I don't. You know, he doesn't really make a lot of top lists, but you can't not respect Frank Gore, especially when you consider how running back is a position that when you hit a wall, you you're just done. I mean, I'm talking about an age wall. You just you just don't really outside of Adrian Peterson see anybody, and Adrian Peterson's one of the biggest athletic freaks to play at that position i mean he's he's just a genetic freak so you can look at it and be like okay i get it but uh, frank Gore is an anomaly and it, it really just comes down to him again i'm not trying to trash him because he's a he's a great running back but it just comes down to work ethic i mean you get to a certain point where your athleticism and your whatever ability you had it really starts to deteriorate as a running back so you have to work 10 times as hard as those 23 year olds out there and he did and that's how he stayed as, as mentally sharp and physically sharp as he did. But he's decided to hang it up uh, along with quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, who uh, another guy that just felt like was never going to happen. But what, 17 years, eight teams, something like that? Washington, Tennessee, Tampa, St. Louis, uh, the Jets for two years, Miami for two years, Houston, Cincinnati, and then Buffalo for four years is, is what I'm seeing here. Drafted in the seventh round, 250 overall. Tell you what, man, so sometimes I think we look at some of these guys like Mitch Trubisky or whatever and uh, Sanchez, and it's like, man, it sucks. What a fall from grace. You know, you could have been something special. You could have been could have been nothing, bro. Backup quarterback is is the all-time greatest backup plan ever. Like, if it's not working out for you as a starting quarterback, find a way to be just good enough to be a backup quarterback because that might even be better than being a starting quarterback. I mean, you know, I mean, if, if your aspiration is to to make a half a billion dollars, you're probably going to need to be an Aaron Rodgers. But dang, man, you keep yourself healthy. You just get the mental side down, which I think is a big part of it because guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, very well known for being basically brilliant. I think he went to Harvard or whatever, which doesn't automatically make you brilliant, but it gives you an idea that the guy's got it's all working up there at a pretty high level. But just the ability to to get a call from a team, show up, read the playbook, understand it, comprehend, and, and still kind of remember everything you learned before and just, just put it on the field and just be good enough to execute the plan because, oh, yeah, I get this, and just go out and do it. If you can get that down, man, what a great life that is. And according to uh, the old spot tracks here, we're looking at about $82 million in his life. Granted, that's less than one contract that Rodgers gets, but still, I mean, a career backup made $82 million. He played 166 games. Guy made almost a half a million dollars a game. Just just walking on the field, he got $500,000. He made $16,229 per pass, even the incomplete ones. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I, I get excited. Uh, I get excited when I get a new patron for a dollar a month. This dude throws a ball and gets 16 grand. So, yeah, good for him. Happy for him. Frank Gore, same thing. Absolute legend. I like when, when stuff like this happens with just straight-up good dudes, you know? There's never been, as far as I, I know or remember, there's no scandals. You know, I mean, I, I never used to be big on the whole role model thing. Like, it's not an athlete's job to be your kid's role model. You be your kid's role model. But at the same time, with all the stuff going on, especially in the NFL and everything else, and just not a lot of good out there, you don't have to be a go-out-of-your-way great person. Just be a good dude. You can be quietly a great dude. There's nothing overt. You don't have to go to the podium and talk to the kids. Just be a guy that takes care of his business, that works hard, 
keeps his head down, does his job, shows up when it's time to show up. I promise you that's not the jab you think it is. It just, it just, I just said it. Don't need to go there. And people crying to me to Twitter about it. But you know what I mean? Just, just, just do what you need to do and do it for a long time. And um, you've got my respect. That's pretty much it, man. Anyways, the new big news slash drama, whatever. Well, I guess there's, there's two pretty big things. Big, depending on if you care or not. We've got some more details, uh, presumably about the Devontae Adams to the Raiders situation, because this is the article that was sent to me. This is the one I will use. I know it'll upset people, but whatever. This via Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk. Derek Carr and Devontae Adams had been trying to get Adams to the Raiders for five years. The brother of Raiders quarterback Derek Carr presumably knows a thing or two about the dynamics in Los Angeles, so when David Carr says something about the Raiders, it makes sense to listen. Appearing on Wednesday's edition of Rich Eisen Show, David Carr said that the trade that brought Packers receiver Devontae Adams to the Raiders was several years in the making. Quote, It's something they've tried to make happen for five years now, since Devontae signed his contract extension several years ago with the Packers, Carr told Eisen. Derek was pushing him to get there. A couple years ago, they were really close to making that happen. Can you imagine? A couple years ago. I mean, five years ago is... I mean, we're talking about back when the Packers were falling apart. We're talking about Devontae had barely broken out, and the Packers just were not very good. Devontae was just barely emerging as our top receiver. Rodgers was seemingly falling apart. I know some people still want to debate that, but his stats and his performance was kind of spiraling downward. I mean, things were looking pretty bleak for the Packers. It was around that time that apparently Devontae and... Derek, we're, we're looking at making this a thing. I mean, <laughs> he's had four years of being like an elite receiver. Man, would that have sucked if, if he would have ended up leaving in 2016, 2017. I mean, he quote-unquote broke out in 2016, but if you look at his grades, it went from a 59 to a 72 to an 80, which is a big jump, and then to an 87. And he's been hovering in the 90s and been going up ever since, but 80, 87, 88, 92, 93. But man, it would have sucked if... Uh, you know, this guy that Packer fans were basically saying, I'm tired of this guy, get him out of here, he leaves, he goes to the Raiders and becomes one of the best football players, best Packers wide receivers in, in, in franchise history. And really, I don't know what most people are thinking about this, if they're shrugging it off, or I, I don't know, I haven't seen a ton of people talking about it. But from my perspective, it just kind of further promotes what I thought was going on. And honestly, it's sort of the better of all the options. I mean, it's not great to hear a guy doesn't want to be a Packer. Obviously, we want everybody to be a massive Packer fan, cheesehead, all that stuff. But it further dispels the idea that, you know, something has been going on between Gutekunst and, you know, this front office is, you know, Devontae's unhappy with them and he's unhappy with Matt LaFleur. This was going on before Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, which similarly to Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers' issues with the team started before they got here. I'm not saying things didn't get worse or spiral or whatever since they took over, but it's 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 known that he's had his issues with things, teams, coach. I mean, with Mike McCarthy directly, he had issues with. So you know, again, there's there's the two dynamics. There's is there something specific about right now that made Devontae upset that makes him want to not be here? And then there's we know he's a Raiders fan. We know he's good friends with Derek Carr, and he wants to be there. Are they both things that are going on? Or is it strongly more one than the other? And I've been trying to convince myself, no, no, he just really wants to be a Raider. I mean, it would be like if I was drafted by the Raiders and, you know, I I had one big contract coming up before I was probably going to retire. 
and the Packers and like my best friend was the quarterback. And he's like, dude, just, you know, for your final days, dude, let's come out. Just, we could be Packers, man. Think about it. Like, this is like a childhood dream of ours to be Packers. We could be one of the best Packers. Dude. We could win a Super Bowl for the Packers, dude. Could you imagine that? Dude, I'd be out of there so fast. I'm sorry. I, you know, whoever the quarterback is that I've got for the Raiders and all the teammates here, like it would be a tough decision to leave them, but I'm going to the Packers, dude. He's a Raiders fan. He's got a chance to be a Raider. So um, this again, this just further solidifies it because, again, five years predates any issues that are going on right now by a long shot. And again, I just think the fact that this is maybe his last big contract, you know, he doesn't want to go to the Raiders kind of like Jordy did. No offense to Jordy, but Jordy's, Jordy was on the downswing. And, and maybe Devontae will be too. We'll see. I mean, he, he, he peaked again almost four years ago. He's kind of flatlined. And at some point it does come down. It has to. I don't know when, and I don't know how drastically, but if you are still, if you still got some good years left, go dominate for the team you love with one of your best friends as your quarterback. That's my take on it. I don't know. Again, I don't know where everybody else is at, but um, it feels like it's one of those things that people want to throw in our face, like, ha, look at this, boom. And I'm looking at it going, that's great news, actually, but thank you. All right, whatever. Um, The other big news is a quote by Aaron Rodgers about retirement that has everybody kind of spinning out of control. Um, I don't really see any new news here. This is, I mean, I, I literally said this, well, not literally, I basically said this verbatim. This is, this is what it is from now on. Let me, let me just read the quote. This is a Bleacher Report article. Aaron Rodgers, quote, can definitely see the end coming, unquote, thinks of retirement all the time. Here is his quote. When you commit, you're 100%, Rodgers added, but the older, uh, the older you get, the interests change, and the grind, I think, wears on you a little more. The football part is the easy part. That's the joy. It's the other stuff that wears on you and makes you think about life after football. Uh, Tommy, talking about Tom Brady, obviously set the bar high with playing so many years, but I can definitely see the end coming. Now, listen, I'm sorry, but this is not new news. And I, I again, I said this. We don't know if he's going to play next year. And the reason we don't know if he's going to play next year, it has nothing to do with the contract structure or anything that was planned this year or whatever. Nobody knows. Rodgers doesn't know. The Packers don't know. Nobody knows. He won't know until we get to the offseason and he spends some time contemplating. And this is just what it's going to be. He, he's just in that mode, man. He's getting old, and I mean, it's, Brett Favre went through it, and we don't like it as fans, and we wish it didn't exist, but it just, it just does. And again, this, is, this does directly go back to OTAs. He doesn't want to be there. He's, he's, he's saying that. And I, listen, I get it. It sucks. I don't need it. I don't want to do it. It's a lot of hard work, and I don't want to do it. And this might just be what it needs to be to keep Aaron Rodgers' joy level high enough to where it's like, listen, if you want Rodgers to play... It's basically got to be very little in between. Here's your awesome offseason. And then when you come back, you just go right on the field and just go get all the fun stuff. You know, the constant grinds with the meetings and the training and all that stuff. We want to min, I mean, it can't be zero. Like, we, 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 you have to participate. But in the areas in which we can kind of cut a few corners, we're going to because we want to just make you enjoy football as much as possible. Because you're a multi bajillionaire who has just an awesome life waiting for him in retirement. And we don't want you to go there yet. Now, again, that's, that is still a negative, right? I mean, everybody else that goes to these things has an advantage over us, but that's, that's where we're at, and that's where everybody gets to. You get to a point where someday they're just going to want to retire, and there is this, this pulling that takes place between I genuinely love football. Not training, not meetings, not OTAs. I love walking out into the field and hearing a roaring crowd. I love the 
the the the two minute drill, trying to come back down five. I love the build up. I love the lead up. I love all that stuff. Not not the travel and the schedule and all that stuff. No, not the beatings and the sacks and all that. But I I just I just love football. But there's that equal pulling that that on the other side is and again an awesome life of retirement and never having to go to another meeting, never having to be you know I doubt he's been yelled at in years, but yelled at by another coach, never having to be criticized by podcasters and and writers and media members over stupid stuff. I can go live my life and I don't have to go to a podium and explain myself. I don't have to go to a podium and say something and have my life get ripped apart for the next six months. So I don't know. This this doesn't bother me because this is what I always thought it was, right? Um, I mean, they, they structured his contract in such a way that, um, again, my understanding is it's a Kind of a max three years. I mean, it's it's technically a max of five years. It's it's five total years that are in this contract. But my understanding from the contract people is after three years, it gets to be like unwieldy to the point of this this doesn't work. We're gonna have to do something else with this contract. So it's it's a weird contract in which the sooner he leaves, the better it is for the team. That was um, Ken Ingles' take several months ago. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. That's just my understanding of it. And, and listen, I mean, just, just listening to his words, it seems unlikely he's going to make it too many more years, right? I, and again, I don't know if maybe people don't know that because they're like, oh, it's a three-year contract. Three-year, $150 million contract is the reported contract, right? So everyone just thinks he's going to play for three more. No, it is what, the, the, uh, what Mark Murphy said it is. It's a year-to-year deal. All we know is he committed to this year. We don't know a single thing else. And that's that's... That's where we all should be. So when we see this news of, you know, I don't know, I love football, but I also am excited about retirement, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, that's that's that should have been our understanding from the get-go. So um, if that wasn't your understanding, it should be from now on. Rodgers has given, committed to one more year, and we'll see next year if he decides to commit to one more year. Something else that a lot of people have been tagging me in, uh, I don't exactly know where this is coming from, but um, had Wendell Ferreira say the top three teams in current cap space. Number one, the Browns have $32.3 million. The Panthers have $25 million. The Packers are third with $17 million. I'm assuming this has something to do with uh, June 1st type cap moves. I don't know, but... Uh, over the cap and spot track all disagree. And I doubt that none of them have updated their stuff because they are Johnny on the spot. Um, they do agree that the Packers have roughly 17 million, 16.7, according to spot track, 16.9, according to over the cap, but they have us eighth. I don't know why he just skipped a bunch of guys, but Cleveland and Carolina are number one and two Cleveland with 40 million, Carolina with 24 and a half. But then you have the Raiders with 22, the Bears with 20, Dallas with 20, Pittsburgh with 19, Miami with 17.3, Packers 16.7. Either way, it's not a it's not a bad sign. I mean, the, the best part about all this is the fact that you, when you look at the New Orleans Saints, they were stuck at the bottom forever, and they dug their way out so that they were in the black because it's you're you're required to. In other words, you're not negative money anymore. But they just constantly were hovering at the bottom. The Packers not only dug their way out, but they're top 10 in terms of cap availability right now. And that's with Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of other tough salary cap stuff going on. 
And to be honest, this is very rare for the Packers to have this much money at this point in the season. I mean, it, it's very rare. Like I said, under under Ted Thompson, generally speaking, um, maybe there's there's like ten million bucks floating around. Seventeen is that's a decent chunk. I don't know how this is even possible because again, and this is one of those things where, no offense to the salary cap people, but every single time you look at what they're saying, so the Packers are doomed, the Packers are in trouble, the Packers aren't going to be able to do this by the time they you know sign this guy, sign that guy, and sign their draft picks. There's no money left. Again, I don't know what's going on, but we signed our draft picks. I'm pretty sure they're all signed. I think we signed just about everybody. Lazard still has to sign a piece of paper, but um, we have $17 million after paying all our bills. <laughs> that's, that's pretty wild. And it's just a constant reminder that panicking about the salary cap is... Um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the salary cap is... I'm not making the argument that the salary cap isn't real. I'm not saying there aren't good and bad decisions that you can make with the salary cap. But there's there's plenty going on with the salary cap that apparently 99% of us don't understand to the point where if you're panicking about, I ran the numbers and we're in trouble, you're just wrong most of the time. Again, that's not to say that pushing out money is is fine and all these things are fine. It's not. It's, it's suboptimal. But... I mean, the, the, the doom and gloom reminds me very much of like, you know, watching, let's just say extremely biased news sources who are constantly telling you like, if this happens, it's the end of the world. If this happens, it's the end of democracy. I mean, every time the, the elections come up, that's what you hear. This is the biggest election of our time. Every election of my lifetime, I've been told is the biggest election of our time because of if this person wins, it's the end of democracy. And for a while, I believed it until I lived through multiple presidents from both sides of the aisle. And guess what? It's never been the end of democracy. There's been good times and bad times for sure. There's probably, again, better and worse options, just like there are better and worse things to do with the salary cap. But the doom and gloom has mostly been entirely incorrect. The biggest catastrophe that we've gone through, all the biggest catastrophes, they're not because of the elections. You know, you, you had a global pandemic. You've had terrorist attacks. So the point is, the less um, pure panic you participate in, the better. Because it's just going to make you unhappy, and then you're going to get to the point where it's like, wow, I wasted a lot of time being miserable for nothing. I spent so much time panicking about the salary cap, and oh, I know, well, just just wait. Wait till next year. Okay, I know. Again, it's exactly like politics. I know, but wait till next year. Wait until this happens. Wait until these people get elected. Wait until this, and then it's going to be real bad. Just wait until they push this through. Then it's going to be the end of democracy. Wait until, I know, wait until, wait until, wait until, wait until, and then guess what? I'm still here, still doing whatever, right? I know, gas prices suck, and guess what? They're going to come down right before they go back up. I drove a 93 Chevy Astro van when I was in college. I worked at a bar as a bar back like an hour away. That was back when gas prices hit over four bucks a gallon back in like the last time they really went up. And I basically went to work just to fill that gas tank so that I can go to work. And once I realized that, I stopped going to work because it was costing me $100 to fill my gas tank in that Astro van. Greatest vehicle in human history, by the way. I absolutely would buy another Astro van if I could find one. I would just do it on, on the spot. No questions asked. I love that thing. First car I ever owned, man. 93 Chevy Astro vans, just a beaut. But I mean, you know, if you look at the 2023 estimated salary cap for next year, we're at negative 14. We are so doomed. We're in so much trouble. 
Aaron Rodgers goes up to $31 million in 2023. David Bakhtiari goes from 13 to $29 million. Um, Preston goes up to $13 million. Kenny Clark goes from 9.9 to $24 million. Jair goes from seven this year to 20 million. I mean, we're, we're doomed. Dude, this is every year. It's every year. This year, how much were we over? Like 40, 50, 60, 70 million dollars, and now we're sitting where we're sitting. Again, I'm not saying there aren't good and bad decisions. What I am saying is you don't know, and I don't know how the salary cap works. That's that's become painfully obvious to me. Um, because again, the the if I look at, and I'm not trying to necessarily pick on anybody. But if I were to pick out like the one guy that I know amongst fans that knows the cap better than anybody else, it's become clear to me that they don't really know how this works either. I mean, they do, but their ability to forecast the future is zero. So I'm good with just looking at what it is now and then saying, I I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it'll probably be fine. (laughs) And it's kind of an annoyance to me because I, I don't, I generally don't like that that mentality of just don't worry about it because it is kind of stupid. But at the same time, I've learned that it's in almost everything, worrying about stuff you can't control, especially when we're talking about just panic for the sake of panic. It's probably still smarter than just doing that. The Packers are going to field a football team. Okay. That's (laughs) there's, they're going to figure out a way to put 53 guys on the field. Not, not at the same time. That's against the rules, but you know what I'm saying? They're all going to get paid. None of the checks are going to bounce. It'll be fine. Right now, we have extra money and nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's just, anyways, I got a pile of stuff here. I'm just going to pick one and then we'll call it a day. Uh, this was something via PFF. Now, PFF has more data than they give to us, right? They they've got they're they're kind of like their own SIS, but they only give us a little 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 dribble. I think NFL teams get more data. Oh, they got a PFF big board up. For 2023, that's crazy. Jacqueline Roy. I haven't heard that guy's name. Anyways, sorry. I'll check that out later. Um, they have their 2022 NFL interior defensive rankings and tiers. I, I don't, I, I almost didn't even read the article because I don't care so much for the rankings because it's just something to fight about for silly reasons. But um, they they have their rankings. Number one, Aaron Donald, obviously, followed by Cam Hayward, Chris Jones, DeForest Buckner, Grady Jarrett. And then tier three, they have sixth overall, Kenny Clark. Again, argue amongst yourselves. I don't really care. Here's what they said, though, that I found interesting. What separates Clark from most nose tackles is his pass rushing impact when he's lined up over center. Across the past four seasons, no player earned a higher PFF pass rush grade from the nose tackle alignment than Clark. And he tallied 14 more pressures than uh, from those alignments than any other player in the league since 2018. Now, here's maybe the... Here's maybe the rub on that. Generally, your your pass rushing defensive tackles are not nose tackles. I've always found it weird that Kenny Clark was the nose tackle, right? Because he's he's a little more slender than your typical 340 pound noses, and he's more of a pass rushing type of guy. I mean, he's 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 a dual threat. He does it both things, but he, he's as far as nose tackles go, he leans more pass rush and probably less run defense. So it's it's probably one of those things where he doesn't have as good a grades as a lot of other guys, but the reason that he does better at nose tackles because guys like Aaron Donald don't generally line up over the nose. I mean, he does and he can, but it is pretty cool. And it's, I mean, it's, it's not as though he's bad. He's just better than everybody else. Again, 91.9 overall grade when lined up 
uh, his pass rushing grade is a 91.9 lineup at the nose, which is exciting because now that we got more guys, as much as my mind goes to, good, let's get them off the nose and let's put them in more of a pass rushing alignment and all that, I think this is just going to help them stay there. You know, having Jerron Reed and Devontae Wyatt on either side of them, we can keep them right there in the nose. It is worth noting that um, just poking over at SAS just because I want to see what they they massively disagree. Um, I don't know if this is just a disagreement in alignment. I added zero and one technique because you're still kind of over the center. I don't know if I need to add like two I to it. I mean, I don't think that's nose tackle, but it does say since 2018, maybe this year was a down year. I don't know. But um, looking at pressure percentages, I mean, even as totals, he had like seven pressures. It said he had like 14 more than the next highest guy. He had seven total, according to SIS. Uh, I think the highest was like 18, but he's 25th in terms of pressure percentage here, 7.2%. TJ Slayton is at 9.4%. And then the highest was Neville Gallimore, 18.5% pressure rate from the nose tackle position, which is pretty wild. Um, but anyways, again, I don't know. It, it's got to be a difference in um, understanding of, of what nose tackle means, I guess, and alignments and all that. And, and again, maybe it's just because of previous years. And this was kind of a down year for him. I don't know. can look at 2020. He's not even on the list. 2019 was his best year, 10.3% pressure rate. So again, just, just a pretty big disagreement there between the two, I guess. I don't know. It is pretty positive news about TJ Slayton, though. I mean, Kenny Clark's, according to PFF, or excuse me, SIS, his best pressure percentage at the nose tackle position was 10.3%. He hit that once in 2019. The second highest over since 2015 at nose is TJ Slayton, 9.4%. Whatever Slayton's issues may be, there's a positive glimmer of hope there. But anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.